looking at uh, Ephesians and we have landed now on or in Ephesians 4 and I have to say that that right the way through ever since we started looking at this book I've really been praying that God would impact my heart as I look at Ephesians in a new way and I have to confess that as I've been starting to look at this book I haven't I hadn't yet felt that new breath of God from heaven for my life as I've read these scriptures and uh, they hadn't yet come alive to me in the way that I was hoping that I'd been praying for. But I think now in Ephesians 4, at last, I feel like God is breathing new life into me through the word of God. And it's a beautiful thing. Um, and um, I have to say that it's not to say that Ephesians 1, Ephesians 2 and Ephesians 3 haven't impacted my life and God hasn't spoken to me of through those scriptures. Some of those scriptures have become life verses to me about it being a son of God, being loved, loved by God. Um, Realising that God invited everyone to come to him, not just the Jewish nation, but every person on the planet he died for. What statement that we've been singing about this morning could be more clear than a saviour whose arms were nailed wide on a cross? He said, everyone can come to me. Don't think that I haven't had revelation and understanding of these scriptures, and I believe and hope that you have too. But don't you believe that God wants to take you deeper into him? Who wants to be stuck in the revelation that they had 20 or 30 years ago or five years ago? Hasn't God got fresh things that he wants to say to us now, to you and to me? Fresh things that are relevant for the times in which we live. Fresh things that are going to propel us and move us forward in our faith. And I do believe that God comes among us and he breathes on us and he breathes on the seed and on the soil and on the words that is spoken and he breathes fresh life into them. That there are seasons when we feel like, um, you know, what is God saying to me now? You know, I knew what God was saying to me then, but what is he saying to me now? What is he saying to us now? And I think that God is responding to that cry of our hearts that says it's only you God as Julian said this morning you've only got to look at what's happening in our own nation in the Ukraine if you look at Sri Lanka at the moment you look at other nations across the planet and you see the desperate state that we're in what is God saying how relevant now is the story of Jesus Christ the story of the gospel which we've looked at in Ephesians 1 through to Ephesians 3 is the most succinct story of the gospel that's written in such um, a clear, simple but profound way. It's, I would say, Paul's greatest summary of the gospel narrative. But is that still, relative, is that still relevant now? Is it still relevant now? And, you know, the rest of Ephesians is really talking about, from Ephesians 4 through to Ephesians 6, it's talking about how we should respond to the gospel story that we've looked at in Ephesians 1 through to Ephesians 3. 
Paul is exploring the question as to is this still relevant for the time in which I am writing from my prison cell, is it still relevant? Is it still worth me being a prisoner in chains? We see that the church had trouble and strife within it. The church itself was in its infancy. The church itself was still seeking to establish the teachings of the apostles. And Paul is saying, how do we respond then to this message of Jesus Christ? The message of the Savior, full of grace and mercy who died for us, for all mankind, for all humanity. The message that God's dream was actually that not only would we be adopted into his family and be glorious church, a glorious bride for Jesus, but that Jesus would be exalted over everything. Ultimately, in the end, that everything would revolve around him and he would be seen and known and established as the King of all kings and the Lord of all lords, not just for the ages that have passed and the age that we're in at the moment or the age that is to come, but for all ages. The gospel story is all about Jesus. And he's saying, how should we respond then to this story, to this gospel? And so if we look at Ephesians 4, let's start by just looking at verses 1 to 3. And I'm going to read from the NIV. Paul says, as a prisoner for the Lord then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle and patient, bearing with one another in love. even when you might disagree with each other. I will add that. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So in this chapter, there are two clear themes, messages that Paul is speaking to us. The first is, on the question of how do, we re, how do we respond to Jesus? How do we respond to the gospel story? Well, we respond by living a life that is worthy of the calling that we've received. We respond by living a life that is worthy of Jesus Christ, the Lamb who died for us. And we've sung it this morning. Love so amazing, so divine, deserves my soul, my life, my all. Secondly, the way that we respond to the gospel story is by making every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. So the two things that Paul is immediately highlighting is the fact that we should seek to live a life that is worthy of Jesus. 
And secondly, a life that seeks to keep the unity of the spirit within the body of Christ, within the church. As we move through this chapter, we see that Paul really addresses the issue of maintaining unity first. Maintaining unity. You know that at the beginning of this chapter, chapters started in one, but mainly in two and three, Paul talks about the unity that Jesus died for on the cross. The unity that he died for was to bring all humanity to Christ all humanity to, the, to, the, to their Father in heaven, not just the Jewish nation, but all people. And we talked about the fact that God, that Jesus died for everyone, and actually he brought everyone into this new family of believers, followers of Jesus, that put their faith in him, that received their salvation through grace, and it didn't matter whether you were Jew or Gentile or Greek or any other nationality or tribe or nation or tongue. The language of the kingdom and the language of God's family was Jesus, Jesus, Jesus and believing and trusting in him and being saved not by our own efforts and by our own self-righteousness but by his grace and his grace alone. And Paul is saying, one of the things that you should do in response to receiving this message is seek to maintain that unity. That the church should be united in Christ. Paul's desire was that the new church in its infancy would mature and grow to reflect the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. God's dream was that the church would reflect Jesus in all his fullness and completeness. So that when those that are outside the church encounter us, it's just like they encountered something of Jesus. Because the something of Jesus is completely among us. He made it very clear that our unity was not around our backgrounds, our ethnicity, how good a people we were, but that our unity was rooted and grounded only in God. And all the attributes displayed in the Father, in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says that we are united in our faith, in the one God and Father of all. And he talks about us being one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. All of those things, all of those things come from Christ. All of those things come from our Heavenly Father. All of those things come from the Holy Spirit of the living God, the one God. Our unity is aligned with our oneness and our focus on Jesus, on the Father, on the Holy Spirit, our triune God that is revealed completely and perfectly and beautifully in Jesus. 
one of the things that he says is important and is a key for the church being able to maintain the unity of the spirit is what we call the fivefold ministry. So we've got the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. And what I wanted to say about this was that when we're talking about these particular gifts that God has given to the church, we're not just talking about a gift of teaching or a gift of prophecy. Paul encouraged every single believer to prophesy. But here we are talking about the God-appointed office of a prophet who doesn't just speak individual words of encouragement to individuals in the body to encourage and exalt and, and lift up, but who has the word of God for the church, strategic words that will direct and protect the body of Christ and help it to move forward in the right direction. That's something, that's an office that God appoints people too for the church and it's a gift of God but it's not one of in the context of the spiritual gifts that he talks about and we've looked at in 1 Corinthians 12, 1 Corinthians 14. We haven't got time to talk about the office of the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastors and teachers but you could look at each one but he's saying that role within the church is important. You know for us that's why it's important for us to be part of something bigger. It's important for us to be in a family which has prophetic voices, which has teaching, which has um, pastoral oversight and evangelism, which is gifts which are over and above those which we have here in our individual unit. And it's it's why it's important to have access to that, those offices and that life flow into us and through us. God has clearly anointed and set apart those in those ministries to serve the church. And it says that their role is to equip his people, his body for works of service. The role of those in that office is to actually equip you and me to go and do the work. It isn't for them to go out primarily and do that work themselves. It is to give you and me the tools to do that. Enable us to do the works of service, to enable the body of Christ to be built up and ultimately to reach unity in faith, in the faith and knowledge of Jesus. To become mature attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. The fivefold ministry enables us to establish the truth of God rather than the teachings of men. And this is still relevant for our times. In fact, I would say it's just as relevant for our times as it was when he was writing to the church in Ephesus, which was a cultural and religious hub 
where all sorts of teachings and practices and worship and morality and lifestyles were going on. Sometimes we can look at our culture, the, the world in which we live, and think that, oh, it must be really bad now. You know, because people aren't following God. They're not living in his ways. They're not, they're not following his practices. Well, Paul was in exactly the same situation. Don't get to thinking that we are in the worst times of the worst times and that there haven't been worse times and there won't be worse times because where there is light, there is darkness. The enemy, the father of lies, will keep on, like he did from the beginning, trying to deceive people and mitigate against the truth of who Jesus is. And that is why the apostolic giftings are important because they establish in the church they build up in the church the true knowledge of who Jesus is they are not affected by the cultural beliefs and practices of the time but they speak consistently through the ages the truth of who Jesus is and they speak it into the age in which they have been placed it's easy for the church to become an echo chamber for the culture in which it lives. And Paul says that that was happening right there. Right there among them. And I'm just going to just drop down to Ephesians 4, 17 to 19. He, he says here, he says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. And he talks earlier, I haven't got time to go into it, about the discussions in the church over doctrine and beliefs. And then he drops down to talk about the day and age in which he's living. You know, one of the reasons why we need to keep Jesus at the center and we need anointed voices in our generation people that are anointed by God, not self-appointed, but appointed by the Spirit of the living God, having the mark of God on their life, is so that we can keep true to everything that Jesus is and everything that, that our amazing God is, even when all around us, people are giving themselves over to another type of life. That is why it is so important. And I think that when Paul is talking about this maintaining the unity of the faith, he's saying that there will be a challenge to the teachings of Jesus Christ. And you know, that happens both within the church and outside of the church. 
how do you deal with that within the church when there are conversations about what the Bible says and what's true, what isn't true? Well, he says that you should speak the truth in love. He says that you should bear with one another in love. The truth should be at the center of your conversation. You should be able to have a healthy conversation about the truth. The truth should be all over the scriptures, all over discussions about what it means and what Jesus said. I welcome and I embrace that type of conversation in an environment of love and respect and honor, even for people that I disagree with. But it comes back to Jesus. It comes back to who he is. It comes back to the scriptures where he's concealed right the way through the Old Testament and then gloriously revealed to us. There is enough narrative in there under the enlightenment of the Holy Spirit to keep us true to his teachings, keep us true to our faith even in a culture and in a time where people are drifting away and even believers questioning the truth of who Jesus is and what he says he is like and trying to redefine that. We deal with that beautifully by holding the truth together in a conversation that is surrounded in love for one another. And that's the environment and the context that I will have those conversations in. And I welcome those conversations. I welcome those conversations particularly if there's something in this book and in the heart of Jesus that I am teaching that you don't agree with. I welcome a conversation over that. I welcome conversations about what people are talking about because these things are important for us. But it always is centered in the truth. It always is centered in the truth. So Paul has said, how do we respond to the gospel story? Well, we respond by maintaining unity in Jesus, making that an important goal. And secondly, by our lives, telling that story of who he is and what he's done. I just want to land and, and come to a close on this by just reading some verses from the end of this chapter. I want to just start um, at 25. It says, therefore each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no more but must work. Do something useful with their own hands that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths 
but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may be a benefit to those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. I'm not going to read all of the instructions here, but I encourage you to go to the second half of Ephesians 4 and read the instructions for living the Jesus way that, that, that he gave us. I want to finish by saying this. How many of us have lived up to the standard truth and the life that Jesus said that we should live? How many of us have never told a lie? Have never got drunk? And never been rude? Never been selfish? I, I can't stand there and say that, that, that I have. Has anyone here ever failed at being a witness for Christ? Maybe it's only me. There was an occasion when I was at work, a work do once, I drank too much. I ended up covering my shoes with sick. And I'm just saying, let's just be real about this. We, we need Jesus. We need Jesus. We need to be witnesses for him and I want to be a witness for him. And so this way of living points us back to him. One of the other beautiful things that Paul talks about in this scripture, if you look at the book, is he takes the example of marriage. You know, the gift of marriage that God has given us is between one man and one woman for life. That was his dream. And he takes this beautiful image of Jesus being the bridegroom and the church being the bride. And he says he wants his church to be that beautiful, beautiful bride. That's you and that's me. His truth hasn't changed. Our culture will try and change the truth of who God is. But God hasn't changed. His heart hasn't changed. His word hasn't changed. The essence of who he is hasn't changed. I have to change. I have to change to be more like Jesus. And the only way that I can do that is know that it was by his grace that I am saved. Not by works, but is the gift of God of which I can never ever boast. That's what our lives need to echo to our community. There is a grace in Jesus that is for everyone. And as we embrace the truth of who he is,
we reflect his beauty and his glory and his purity to a world that needs to know that there is a saviour from the hell that's out there. Let's just finish by praying this morning. Father, we just thank you for Jesus. We realise that our, our ways of living sometimes don't match up to the way that you called us to, but we come to you and thank you for your gift of grace. And not only do we hold on to that grace, but we also say, would you help us to hold on to the truth of who you are? Help us to keep hold of the essence of who you are and not let go of that. Father, where we've got areas in our lives that, that aren't right, that don't match up to the way that you wanted us to live, right now we bring them before you and we say that we're really sorry. We ask you to forgive us. We ask you to help us to live like you. Would your grace be upon us in this day? so that we can truly reflect who Jesus is to the world around us, who you love with all your heart. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this has encouraged you. You can listen to our other Sunday morning teachings here or are in the Limelight series where we chat with ministries and organisations we're connected with to dive deeper and highlight the amazing work they do. Get connected. You can visit us over on our website www.hhcc.org.uk or find us on Facebook and Instagram at hhccorguk. Bye for now and we bless you as you walk into this new week.